the screen and on the beautiful banners that we have out in the worship center. I'm inviting you to consider again that the grapes represent several things. One thing, they represent the clusters of people that you and I connect with every week. So think about your extended family. Let that cluster represent you and your family. You are one of those grapes. How about the cluster of people that you work with during the week? Or if you're a student, the the cluster of people that you're in school with. How about um, your social group? Now here's the question. Did you find your grape in the cluster? (laughs) How are you affecting the cluster, the people that you connect with? And how are they affecting you? You see what I wrote at the front of your worship folder for you this week? From the refugee camps filled with two million fleeing Syrians to the human trafficking Asian back alleys to the regions terrorized by ISIS and Boko Haram to the starving in Africa and those caught in the drug wars of Central and South America to the broken families and decaying inner cities of North America come the appeals. Who are those God-sent people who will hear our cries, care about our pain, and help us in the name of Jesus. There's some notes for you right in the middle of your worship folder. I'd urge you to take them, and I'd urge you to take a pencil or a pen, and if you didn't happen to bring a copy of God's Word, there should be one under the chair in front of you. I hope you brought your Bible, and I would invite you to open with me to John's Gospel. Last week, I introduced a phrase to you, God sent people... And we based that phrase on John chapter 1, verse 6, where it tells us there, there came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. In this case, it's referring to John the baptizer. And it says he came as a witness to testify concerning the light so that through him all men might believe. And I suggested to you last week that you and I, if you have trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior and you are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, you, like John the baptizer, we have the privilege of living out our lives every single day as God-sent people into every conversation, every circumstance. Uh, Last week we looked at two examples where Jesus was at a wedding and there was a need. (laughs) And as a God-sent person, he stepped into that need and he helped them. And we saw him in the temple where they had brought animals inside the temple and he stepped into that need and he responded, you remember, by cleansing the temple. Today I'd like us to look at two more people. Part of why I love the Gospel of John is John tells us the story of how Jesus met real people, just like people you and I know, and their lives changed in those encounters. So in John chapter 3, we meet another man, and in John chapter 4, we meet a woman, and those two people could not be more different one from the other. Look at what it says in John 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. Uh, This man, may I suggest, had been a student from the time he was a little boy. He had probably memorized vast chapters, maybe entire whole books of the Old Testament. He had studied under some of the finest rabbis of his day. He was a Pharisee, which meant every day most of what he focused on was keeping the rules. You know anybody like that? 
the reason he did that was he wanted to make sure that he could do all that he could do to make sure he could please God. That he could come to the end of his life and say, God, I did the best I could. Hopefully you'll let me into heaven. I couldn't have done any more than I've done. He was a legalist. It says there that he was a Pharisee, but he was also a member of the ruling council, which meant part of his job was to watch everybody else and make sure they were keeping the rules. You know anybody like that? So if you know somebody who's been trying to live their life the best way they can somehow to gain God's approval, then jot down their name right there in your worship folder. Because the encounter that Nicodemus had with Jesus answered his question. It says here that he came to Jesus at night. Oh, there might have been a lot of reasons for that, certainly one of them, so he could have a private conversation with Jesus. And he says to Jesus, Rabbi... Now, that's pretty amazing that he would call Jesus rabbi when Jesus had not studied with the famous rabbis. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, he said. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God was not with him. What miraculous signs? Jesus was in Jerusalem for the first of the Passovers that he would celebrate during his earthly ministry. And it tells us in verse 23 of chapter 2. Do you see it there? Now while he, Jesus, was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many people saw the miraculous signs he was doing and believed on him. John doesn't tell us exactly what miraculous things, but we can presume it was the kind of things that he did when he did miracles. <laughs> Blind people saw and lame people walked and demon-possessed people were freed. Nicodemus, a rule keeper, <laughs> maybe the chairman of the board of the rule keepers, if I could say it that way, realizes that he's not sure down deep inside that his good works, his keeping of the rules is going to get him to heaven. So he comes to meet with Jesus and look what Jesus says. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. There's nothing there about rules, is there? So you can imagine how Nicodemus, what? All that I've been doing is not going to earn God's favor for me? Born again? Well, what does that mean? And he asks, how can a grown man be born again? I can't crawl back into my mother's womb to be birthed the second time. And you see that Jesus answers him in verse 5. I tell you the truth. Did you notice both times Jesus started by saying, I'm telling you the truth. Rabbis wouldn't have said that. Rabbis would have said, according to my study, here's what I think. Or according to Rabbi so-and-so, here's what he said. But Jesus says, I'm telling you God's truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water. We understand that, a human natural birth. And the Spirit Flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. Jesus was saying, Nicodemus, it's not about keeping the rules. It's not about trying harder. It's about the condition of your heart. Check your heart, Nicodemus. There's going to have to be a great change in your heart for you to get to heaven. Now, because Nicodemus had memorized so much of the Old Testament, I wondered if he remembered hundreds of years before Ezekiel had written. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I will give you a new heart. And I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll put my spirit in you and you'll be my people and I'll be your God. 
Nicodemus was experiencing the fulfillment of the prophecy. The one who had come to make that possible was talking to him. He was overwhelmed by that. So if you know of a person, my friends, who's trying awfully hard to please God, is doing his or her best to keep all the rules, and is quick to point out when somebody else doesn't keep the rules, let them know it's not about the rules. It's about the heart. And God is ready to change that person's heart, right? It tells us in verse 14 that as their conversation went on, Jesus said, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man, speaking of himself, must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Now, because Nicodemus knew so much of the Old Testament, into his mind would immediately come the story in Numbers 21 where Moses had led the Hebrew slaves out, but they were a complaining bunch of people, you'll remember. They didn't believe God could lead them into the new land, and so they wandered for 40 years in the desert, and they actually reached a place where they were angry with God. They were tired of God's daily provision of the manna, and they said, Moses, God, we detest, it says in Numbers 21, this manna. Oh. You know anybody who's angry with God? who's so deeply disappointed with God that God hasn't done what they have expected God to do, that sometimes they kind of clench their fist and, and they're thinking in their minds, I detest the fact, God, that you haven't done what I expected. God responded by sending venomous snakes among the people. And the snakes started biting people. And people got sick. And people started dying. And those hard-hearted, angry, clenched-fist people said, Oh, God, we're sorry. Please take the snakes away. You ever been there? <laughs> God didn't take the snakes away. Instead, he said, Moses, uh, make a, a bronze snake. Put it up on a pole. And those whose hearts are softening and recognize that their hard hearts and their rebellious waves, they've turned away from me, they'll come and they'll repent. And I'll heal them, and I won't let them die of the bite of the snake. I can see Nicodemus furrowing his brow and saying, Jesus, are you saying that they're going to raise you up on a pole? And, and somehow in your death, you're going to make it possible that if we believe in you, that somehow is going to earn us heaven? Is that what you're saying? Jesus goes on, Nicodemus you probably think God is an angry God, but for God so loved the world. Would you say it with me? You memorized it when you were a child. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Really, Jesus? Perish, as you know, doesn't mean die. It means eternal separation from God. You know anybody who's angry with God? Who thinks God is angry with them? You see, I'm asking these questions so you can jot down their names right here in your worship folder so that you can think about how you can help them to know the truth. For God so loved the world. God is not an angry God, Nicodemus. Just because you're always walking around pointing out to people where they have failed, where they have stumbled, that's not what God does. God is a loving God. He loves us so much that he has said his only son, me, Jesus was saying. And whoever believes in me 
will not spend eternity separated from God. And then he goes on and he says in verse 17, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Do you know anybody who is going through life feeling condemned? They can't forgive themselves for their past. They keep beating themselves up for their failure in the past. Do you know anyone who lives in a family or is in relationships, relationships where they are continually being told that they're a failure, that they're a disappointment? And so they're hearing condemning words. Jesus is saying, God didn't send me here to condemn the world, but rather to save the world. You have the good news to tell those people Jesus has come not to condemn but to tell you how much God loves you and to save you. You see verse 18? Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Uh, Yes, Nicodemus, all of us are born with a sin nature, and we sin a lot. And our sin condemns us because God is a holy God, and our sin gets between us and him. But Jesus has come to care for that problem, to pay the sin debt problem so any person can be forgiven of their sin and restored in relationship with the holy God. This is the verdict, verse 19. Light, truth, hope has come into our world in the person of Jesus. But men love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Honestly now, do you know anybody who loves darkness? Can you think of anybody who who loves wrong, evil, deceit, darkness? There are those, you know. Jesus came and stepped into the darkness to say, I can help. I can bring my truth, my hope. I can push back the darkness. In fact, he said in John chapter 8, whoever follows me will not walk in the darkness anymore. Everyone who does evil hates the light will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But verse 21, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that what he's done has been done through God. Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God that is at work here on earth. Remember the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It happens, don't you see, when God sent people Bring God's hope, God's truth, God's answers to the kinds of people that Jesus was describing. I'd like you to think about something. Think about that cluster of grapes again. Think about the people that you're going to be seeing starting in a few minutes when you leave here. The restaurant that you'll go to or wherever you'll spend your afternoon. The people that you'll be seeing tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, where you live, where you work, you go to school, your friends. If you'll listen carefully, you'll find that they are, like Nicodemus, asking deeper questions. Oh, they don't do it as forthrightly as Nicodemus has done it here. But they're asking deeper life questions and they're saying, help me. Help me find the answers that I'm looking for. And if you look deeply into their eyes, you'll see confusion pain, frustration. Have you noticed that our problem is 
We have a tendency to be running through life so fast and in all of those cluster relationships just looking for what benefits me in the relationship rather than looking for how can I help and serve you in the relationship. The conversation evidently with Nicodemus and Jesus ended there, or at least John didn't tell us anymore, but John then tells us some things that John the Baptist said. And as you look at the end of chapter 3, John says some amazing things. Verse 34, the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. If you've trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior, you can put your name right next to that because you are one whom God has sent into our world and in whom the Holy Spirit lives. Amen? You are a God-sent person. And I'm urging you, recognize the potential of what God would like to do through you in our world with every person you meet. The Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life. It's a choice. It's a crossroads. It's a decision. The second person I'd like you to see very quickly is in that fourth chapter. She is entirely different from Nicodemus. The fourth chapter begins, The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. You and I live in a world of gossip and rumor and confusion. And I want to suggest to you that as God-sent people, we are, may I call it, dead-end people. Here's what it means. You hear gossip and you say, it stops with me. Dead end. You hear the rumor mill about somebody else, dead end, it stops with me. You step into confusion and you say, the confusion stops with me. I'm going to bring clarity here. God, what's the truth of what needs to be spoken here? It says here in the next verse that now he had to go through Samaria, Jesus. Jesus had to go through Samaria. That was a problem. Uh, you may remember that Israel had three, may I call them, provinces. Uh, Judea, where Jerusalem was in the south. The Galilee, where the Sea of Galilee was in Capernaum and Nazareth in the north. And in between, Samaria. For us as Americans, history really doesn't mean a whole lot. We only go back about 200 and a few years. But go to Europe or go to the Middle East, or go to Asia. Now you got history. 1,700 years before, the empire of Assyria had come in to the northern kingdom and wiped it out, burned villages to the ground, slaughtered thousands of people, and dragged off some of the Hebrews as slaves and replaced them with other slaves they had taken from other nations. Those people then started intermarrying, and as a result, the descendants 1,700 years later were uh, hated, I think we could say, by Jews who lived up in the Galilee and Jews who lived in Judea. They would therefore go around Samaria if they needed to go north or south. They didn't want to defile themselves by being near those half-breeds, they thought. But Jesus went right into Samaria and took his disciples with him. My guess is every single one of us in this room has a Samaria. We have a place a group of people that we disdain going there. It could be in your extended family. When family gets together for family reunions, there's aunt so-and-so or nephew so-and-so, and you'd just rather be with anybody except with them. 
It could be that in the place where you work, there are some people that you give anything to not be with. It could be that there are some people who seem to just make it their business to make your life miserable. Where is your Samaria? And if God leads you this week to go into your Samaria, would you be willing to go recognizing that maybe God wants to do something special there? Because for God sent people, the song we just sang, the God of angel armies, he precedes us, he goes before us. Do you agree with that? So that wherever you go, if you're following the leading of the Holy Spirit, God is leading you there. And God wants to do something special there. Right? Hmm. So think about that. The next time you find yourself being led into your Samaria, God may want to do something special. John tells us uh, Jesus arrived there about noon and he was tired and he sat down by a well there. Uh, the disciples went to buy some food and a Samaritan woman came middle of the day to draw water out of the well and he asked her, well, would you give me some water? Shocked, she said, you're a Jew, I I'm a Samaritan, we shouldn't be talking, why are you here? Who are you? Why do you care? Why would you ask me for water? He says to her, if you knew the gift of God, verse 10, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. You see, my friends, Jesus understood that he was a God-sent man who was a gift, a gift to every single person he would encounter. Would you consider that if you've trusted Jesus Christ to be your Savior and the Holy Spirit of God lives within you, you are a gift to our broken world. Would you consider that every conversation you step into, every set of circumstances you step into, you are bringing God with you because the Holy Spirit lives within you. You are God's gift to that situation. Now turn and look to the person right next to you for a minute. Does that person look like a gift? Tell the person, hey, if you trust Jesus, you're a gift. Go ahead, tell them. Now think about that. At this moment around the world, there are hundreds of millions of people who have been rescued by Jesus Christ. Hundreds of millions of living gifts in our broken world through whom God is wanting to bring the hope and the help of Jesus. That's right. <laughs> My guess is that little baby's parents believe that that baby's a gift. Am I right? If you're a parent or a grandparent in this room, you know that. Dawn and I uh, Skyped, FaceTimed with uh, our daughter and son-in-law in France yesterday, and we saw those four little grandbabies' gifts. Yeah, it hurts a little bit. They're a long ways away. Thanksgiving's coming up soon. But they're a gift right now to the people in France where they're studying French because they believe God's called them to be a gift to the people of Mali. Who am I to stand in the way of that? Parents, grandparents, are you urging your children and your grandchildren to recognize that God's called them to be gifts to our broken world? Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? She missed the point, didn't she? Uh, yeah. She was a thirsty skeptic. Jesus' response, verse 13, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Pointing down into the well, probably, when he said that. But whoever drinks the water I will give him will never thirst. 
Indeed, the water I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. He said something very similar in the seventh chapter where, where he says, If anyone, verse 37, is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And by this he meant the Holy Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Watch this, my friends. God has placed into every single one of us, including that little baby, a deep, may I call it, soul thirst. A soul thirst. Now, here in America, we have way too many options to satisfy the soul thirst. Entertainment is maybe at the top of the list, and we spend a huge amount of money to entertain ourselves, don't we? It's trying to satisfy the soul thirst. For some people, it's collecting stuff. <laughs> Toys, faster and bigger and better toys. For some, it's clothes. For some, it's food. Think for a minute. What is it that has captured the passion of your heart and you're trying to satisfy your deep soul thirst with your passions? But it's not working. Because God put the soul thirst there and only Jesus can satisfy the God soul thirst. Am I right? And when he does and he places his Holy Spirit there, it begins to bubble up inside of you and you, you spill out the joy of Jesus, the hope of Jesus. It becomes a spring of living water in you so that you're then able to respond to the people around you. Now, friends, you know what this lady was saying? Help. Help me. I know I've got a soul thirst. Help me satisfy it. Jesus said to her, go home and bring your husband. Let's have a conversation. And right there, I have a feeling she dropped her head and maybe stepped back and looked at him. He'd crossed the line. He'd now pierced deeply into her heart. I don't have a husband, she said. You're right. I know you don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man that you're with now is not your husband. Now, before we throw any mud balls at this lady, just think about it. Could be she'd been a widow two, three, four times. Could be she'd been abandoned by her husband who just took his stuff and walked out. Could be she'd just been rejected, maybe beaten as he left her. Whatever the reasons are, we know one thing for sure. Five times she had experienced a broken heart, a deeply broken heart. You know anybody with a deeply broken heart? This week, as you and I walk the journey of life, if we will listen, you'll hear these words in the normal conversations of people. Help me. Help me. Help me find healing for my broken heart. Help me find truth in my confusion. Help me find an answer to my deep soul thirst. Help me. And if you look deeply in their eyes, you'll see they're longing for some answers. She met the one who could help her. He went on to say that he, in fact, was the Messiah because she said, when the Messiah comes, he'll explain everything to us. And she was the first to hear him say, I am he. She went back to town and she said to the people in the town, I think I have met him. But the answer to the soul thirst, the Messiah that we've been waiting for, they came out and they saw him. They invited him to come and stay with them. And he stayed two days in that place and a whole town was changed. 
when his disciples came back and saw her talking to him. They stood amazed that Jesus was having a conversation with a broken Samaritan woman. But they were learning. Jesus had come to bring hope and help to our world. And he said to his disciples, and think about this as we prepare to come to the table of communion. Hmm. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four more months and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for harvest. Jesus was saying to his friends, look out across the landscape of humanity. The vast majority of people that you see are people with broken hearts, unanswered questions, very wrong delusions about who God is. But you, if you've trusted Jesus to be your Savior, and if God has transformed you into a Jesus Christ follower and placed His Holy Spirit in you, you have the answer. You are a God-sent man or woman who can bring the hope and the help of Jesus to our world. So open your eyes and see people the way God sees them. Think about that. Run through your mind right now some of the people that you know have broken hearts. You hear this little voice? God made that in all of us. The little voice cannot yet say, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I need a diaper change, or whatever it is. <laughs> Most of us in this room are parents and grandparents. You remember what happens here when you hear the little cry of your child, right? My guess is none of us in this room, when you heard that little cry in the middle of the night, rolled over and pulled the covers over your head and say, get over it. <laughs> Boom, you're out of that bed like right now, right? Right? <laughs> yeah. Because that's your baby. You love that baby. That's God. I hear your cry. I understand your pain. And I've sent my people. God sent people to you, a broken world. Now you, my people, you need to know me well. You need to love me and let me love you. You need to let me change you so that you can be the bearers of my hope and my help into the world. That's why we gather on Wednesday nights so that children and teens and adults can study God's Word, can grow deeper in their relationship with Jesus. It's, it's why I put this together for you. i got ten pathways at Calvary to grow your spiritual life. They're all out there at the Welcome Center. As we get ready to come to the table, the table of communion, our men are going to serve you, as you know. We do this the first weekend of every month because we want to honor what Jesus did for us. He went all the way to the cross to pay for your sin and mine so that we could be redeemed and restored. And we could be men and women who are God-sent people into our world. So as the men serve you first the bread, when you receive it, take a close look. You'll see the piercings in the bread. And remember Isaiah 53, he was pierced for our transgressions. The beating he took, the wrath of God poured out upon him, was because he had upon him your sin and mine. Lord Jesus Christ, as we receive the communion this morning, we thank you for what you have done to make it possible for us to be forgiven, redeemed, restored in relationship with you, filled by your Holy Spirit, and then 
sent out into our world as God sent people able to bring the hope and the help of Jesus to our broken world. We receive this bread now in your honor. In Jesus' name.